What's up? It is an episode of Metric, the user experience podcast. I'm Michael. I'm Tim. Yo, we're getting so good. So where, did, so where did we leave off last week? We were talking about, uh, actually, I love this bullet point that you left in the Google Doc called the Persona Zoo. Um, for those who aren't up and didn't catch up with like the last episode or they forgot, the idea is that uh, somehow we got into this talk where I had ended up at Facebook for a thing. And we started talking about Persona. We started talking about whales um, and then got into this whole tangent about whales barnacles fish and the like and i think we're just gonna pick up there okay so yeah you didn't go much into the whole like exactly what the facebook thing was you were doing and what you know yeah we're we're, we're practicing our our to be continued the the key now is just to remember what we left off with last time so it feels almost seamless potentially there's a future where somebody's going to actually go back and listen to every single one in chronological order and maybe it can just seem like a constant, never-ending Joe Rogan podcast. Kind of forgot where exactly, like how we exactly we got to the topic, but yeah. So um, over the course of the last few months, my job, my my the company I'm at, whereby us, we were part of this Facebook accelerator. So I got to go to Facebook HQ. Uh, specifically, it's like Facebook. It's, it's called a Facebook Journalism Accelerator, and. Um, thing is that those who participated who ended up being uh there are a few kind of like media startups like the one i'm at i don't know if you're familiar with uh patch it was a it was a part of aol at some point and then it became its own thing um and then there's a whole bunch of like non-profit news startups is aol still a thing i don't think AOL. that's a good question i don't i don't know if aol is I know AOL Instant Messenger is gone as of like sometime earlier this year or last year. But yeah, so I said nonprofit startups. No, these are like kind of like well-established nonprofit, smaller news things. And I'm just totally doing them an injustice by trying to describe them. But, but yeah, here it is. Like a bunch of like news people and a couple of media startups who are like news adjacent. And the idea is that Facebook is going to give us a deep like a make us do a deep dive into like subscription and membership programs so that we would launch it and then they would give us a grant to sustain it or to continue with this um, thing. So, so did you get to meet Mark Zuckerberg? But yeah, so I was at classic campus and no, Mark wasn't there. It's like a first name basis. Well, (laughs) Mark wasn't there, but, but maybe like spiritually he was, we had to go on this tour it was kind of, let me back up. Facebook class at campus on a Tuesday morning is, like in, in early January, is a ghost town. However, we got a personal tour through that ghost town by a, uh, like a Facebook evangelist. If it's, it's like, it's like downtown Disney but a little religious in a way. And so so what happened is like we have this guy who's talking to a bunch of news like news organizations or or news adjacent folks, 
uh, journalists who are incredibly critical <laughs> of, of Facebook and uh, the and especially given its current data blunders, including the one today that they just got outed on. But we had this guy talking about how kind of like Facebook as like a myth, as if we weren't there in like 2000, like in the mid 2000s to see Facebook become what it was, what it is that Facebook does. And what is it that Facebook does? Facebook connects the world. And it was, um, and it was so surreal that, yeah, it was, it was pseudo, pseudo religious brainwashy. And I granted, this is just, just some person who is paid this is their job, right? <laughs> um, they're not going to like walk us around Facebook classic campus uh, talking shit, but but it was um, it was it's bizarre. Like the, the Facebook inspiration coach, or the yes. Facebook, <laughs> the Facebook inspirational leader. So it's a no photo, like it's a no photography zone. Um, oh, so wow. we couldn't. So there were only certain places where we could take like selfies or or take pictures of anything. One of the buildings we were in was was pretty much like it's a really dope like co-working space. It seems like it's really neat there. But the classic campus itself, the downtown part of it, the downtown part of it where they have here's an arcade, here's like Mickey's nachos or whatever they called it, like a nachos shop. <laughs> like here's here's a big building and a and a giant sign we bought from somewhere else because we thought it looked cool and we put it on top of the building it was, and it was ghostly because it was so empty i have to ask the shirt that you're wearing did you get from there because oh so, yeah at home you don't know he's wearing a facebook shirt right now <laughs> facebook at least this part of facebook that i saw um from my perspective as an outsider there um, is designed so that you don't leave, right? If you work there, all of your needs are there. You have your gym, you have um, cafeteria with like free food, right? You have you have all of these things. What you also have is in the event that you need like deodorant or you need a t-shirt or a hoodie or it's a little chilly and you need a jacket or whatever, they have like a Facebook store. And it's not quite a gift shop, but I wandered in and I'm like, whoa. And, and they had these t-shirts that I'm wearing that are really like high quality tees oh. and yeah it's got Facebook on it um but they were like six dollars and so um I was like holy crap I gotta buy some Facebook t-shirts and yeah and when I after a while like so I ironic no I unironically wore this the next day I was at Facebook I just walked around with my Facebook shirt on at Facebook and folks were like where the fuck did you get this shirt? <laughs> like, um, and I was like, it's like, oh, I went into this like gift shop or whatever. And they're like, that's not a gift shop. You're not allowed in there. <laughs> oh my gosh. You want me to go in there? That's a little, it's a little insidious and scary. I mean, I just like. So that's it. all we came in here. So like we were making jokes this entire time, you know, where are the cameras? And you know, the joke being is like, oh, the cameras are in your pockets, of course. <laughs> it was it was neat to see, okay? And whatever, I don't know, like Facebook's never going to sponsor this podcast or whatever. Like nobody looked happy there. Everybody was in intense, everybody who wasn't us were in like intense conversations, I'm sure, talking about their important products um, or something. Um, but the folks we did see there, who weren't many, were like constantly in a rush, no smiles on their face. Like, like it, it was, it was just the strangest thing. And I'm, you know, I'm a developer and a, and a designer and it was like seeing 
I don't know. It was like going to Mecca. It was. It, I was really interested in seeing it. I was in awe, certainly, of some of the things that I saw. Boy, it doesn't seem like it's any fun to be there, you know? They're um, serious, like, big... I mean, in regards to retargeting and click conversion and follow-through, which is now, like, a lot of users have Messenger on their phone, but they've uninstalled Facebook, but the audio that's captured from Messenger and what the, makes the, the ads that you see, like, on Instagram and... Um, and just basic Google search being derived from it. I mean, that's a serious, serious kind of business. And I, I bet like click conversion, retargeting and commerce is like on the forefront of everything they're talking about. Oh, definitely. I, there were some really fascinating things. Uh, are, you Facebook... still, are you still doing that by the way, or is it that over kind of, so to speak? Or... Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. So, um, so officially it's um, over. It was a, I don't know, a four to six month long intensive. And we and we really grinded. We grinded out, grounded out a, a uh, I think a, a pretty nice custom membership program. We basically produce like really like hyper local newsletters uh, in the same way that you can get news about, I don't know, Miami or wherever. We do newsletters about how not just like the important news of the city that you're in, but like how best to be, how best to participate in that community, um, how best to participate in your tribe. How does the, um, so, I mean, how, what you mentioned in the last podcast was like the whales, the fish and the butter barnacle. Yeah. How does that plug into what you were doing? With yeah. Facebook? So, 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 so this whole rambling story about Facebook, um, the, the goal is to have news organizations start thinking about alternatives basically to uh, ad model like revenue. The big, the big thing saying like, hey, look, you have a certain number of people who will pay you just to be you, just to exist for your mission rather than try to write clickbait or, or do something like that and get and, and create content that is intended to get the most eyes because that's how it's monetized. Monetize instead, or at least d differentiate by like having people like pay you, have some sort of like membership or subscription program, right? Uh, kind of going back to kind of going back to the basics. There was one of the first uh, talks there was by this guy. Um, he was a guy who was essentially like introducing this concept of uh, personas to folks who haven't thought about this um, ever. And specifically, he was introducing three different types of which we know we can make as many types as we want, I suppose. But the ones he introduced were barnacles, fish, and whales. It was, it was an interesting concept. The idea being that, like, look, the way to conceptualize this is that whales are your early adopters. They are the ones who, A, basically they're the ones, your super users, who are willing to pay you for your product. There may only be a few of them. That's okay. The fish are your users and the barnacles are, I don't know, clingers on folks who use your content or whatever, but like are never going to be in the market to pay you for it for whatever reason, legit or, um, so the idea is that when you're forming like a membership program, you like, who do you focus on? You focus on your whales. You create a product that the whales like, um, the whales then a fund it by, you know, being the first to, uh, pay you for it. They're also the most likely to give you honest feedback uh, and feedback that doesn't uh, like um, result in them canceling their subscriptions. Um, and so then on the backs of the whales, um, you know, you can feed the fish or however that analogy goes. 
Does that make sense? Is that like a... No, it, it does. And I think, I don't think that, um, you know, a lot of UX kind of positions, I think, unfortunately, you know, unless you're in e-commerce or you're trying to sell something like a startup or bring an app to market, are probably not thinking about how money kind of ties into or relates to personas, you know? So if you're talking about that early supporter, big spender versus who's the regular customer, who's on average kind of plugging in a decent amount of money over a long period of time. And then kind of like versus like, this is your drive-by kind of person, the person who's coming in, just maybe dropping some microtransaction or something, and then they're like moving on. And so, uh, yeah, that makes sense. And I I would expect Facebook to uh, definitely consider that. Um, It's interesting because I think that, um, as you know, from like our conversations, personas are probably the most painful thing for most UX to talk about. Oh. Because it's like, it's useless. It's crap. It doesn't make any sense. Well, hold, hold the phone right there. Most UX? Like, I, I know that you and I are on the same page that, you know, like we think personas suck um, or <laughs> like more or less. But like, from what I understand, like most of the folks might disagree with that. I think people like love like that. The whole like um, the UX UI designers that are coming out of like new certificate programs and stuff like personas are their jam. Um, every time I say something like Ugh, personas, they're like, who is this like curmudgeonly man? <laughs> I actually, in my experience, you know, I find it that to be the exact opposite. I think that wow. technical writers and content strategists and marketing people and potentially business analysts. I mean, they're the ones who care about um, personas. And I think the way that I perceive the way they use personas is what I'm thinking like, this is useless and you're doing it all wrong. And I I think that personas can be you know, very useful, but I think 90% of the time people do it completely wrong. And they, the, the reason why it's mostly wrong is people don't ever check their personas. They don't actually see if like, oh, Am I even close? You know, is <laughs> even right? Because they don't check it. They make it and they, they get a photo and they like, oh, this is this is my super user. And they get a picture online and they're like, oh, she likes surfing. And maybe she, you know, she, she's a weekend shoe shopper and she uses her iPhone. And it's like, where are you pulling any of that from? And have you actually <laughs> checked to see if that's real? You know, I've been thinking about personas for years now because, you know, in, in higher education, um, it's kind of like, it's blasted at level one being meaning that if you're in library or higher education or anything, it's like, well, we don't have to ever care about our personas because <laughs> there are students who are, are paying. And so we know, you know, why would we care? You know, that's so bizarre. Our, our experiences are so different. When I was in higher ed UX, it was all, it was like, Oh man. I mean, like, okay. All of our personas fell into two camps, faculty or students, <laughs> but you know, it's like, this is Jim. He is our graduate student and uh, pursuing a doctorate in psychology. And, and, and then you're right. There's always this thing. It's like, and he drives a Prius because he cares about the economy or not the economy. I'm sorry. He, he cares about global warming because obviously he lives in Miami. Very, very scared of sea level rise see, and stuff me, like that. Yeah. See, to me, that sounds like, um, like, what is like a provisional persona and right. that's kind of uh laura klein has a book about this which is fantastic but it's to where like you're making it up because you don't know you know and then but you don't in turn like kind of test it and so in higher education in libraries specifically like 95 percent of our users were undergraduate students 
<laughs> and so, but so it's like, why are we even making a graduate student persona? Because they literally make up four percent of our user base, and one percent <laughs> is faculty. And I just feel like it. A lot of people use it to as a tool to like give weight to what they want to see or what they think ideally is occurring, as opposed to check the reality and the numbers of their actual users. Yes. Yeah, you're right. It's a it's a tool for confirmation bias. Yeah, a, a deliberate Machiavellian tool to convince other people. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I I think you just said it perfectly. I think it is personas are a tool for um, confirmation bias, and I think you can't. So in higher ed or like a place to where your users are guaranteed already, like why why care? You know what I mean? Um, where in like e-commerce or a startup or where you're trying to, like you said, with Facebook, kind of bring something to market that doesn't exist, you can't afford to make those mistakes because it's like, oh, we, it's, we fail or we don't, we lost sales and we don't have conversion, you know? Um, but I will say having worked in e-commerce as well, like it's not as, they're not as with it as they should be either, you know? When you see places like, Radio Shack and JCPenney's and Sears, like all kind of like nose diving, you know, it's just like, yeah, you're probably not, you're not looking, listening to the twofold side of what your users, you're getting from them qualitatively, or actually looking at, you know, actual data that you have, which could be from um, marketing, uh, CRM kind of like marketing systems and, or like actual click data that's, you know, from analytics. Have you heard the jobs to be done argument against personas the other yeah, i actually love jobs to be done and i i think a year or so yeah ago, you shared with me like user stories are crap <laughs> and i'm like you are 100 correct and i've been looking at everything yeah so uh tldr the idea is that look jobs to be, the jobs jobs to be done is this idea that I've always got to start with the analogy. Look, it's 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 the one. If you Google it, you'll see it. But it's hey, it's like if you end up in Home Depot because you're in the market for a drill, and you end up in the uh, the drill aisle. Clearly, I'm in Home Depot a lot, and there's <laughs> and there are <laughs> you're in the drill aisle, uh, and there's market and there and there's all these uh, posters everywhere marketing individual drills. The question, of course, is like, well, which drill is going to, what is the best marketing option for the drill? The idea is that like, look, when you're buying a drill, you're not buying, unless you are uh, in this edge case, but most people aren't buying the drill as a piece of a specification. They're not focusing on like um, how many RPMs it can go or, you know, it's, it's, um, what's horsepower. I don't even know. I know nothing about drills, um, but uh, what they're buying the idea of jobs to be done is that they're buying the mounted television on the wall. They're buying their finished living room. They're buying this kind of end product. The, the job to be done is mounting a TV on the wall. The solution is the drill. The argument against um, personas from this is that, look, um, when we are when we're, when we're in a discovery period and we're designing a new product or a new service, if we like you said, if we if we start with the personas, we're making a lot of assumptions that likely aren't backed up by data. But it's also um, creates this kind of a undercurrent where we're trying to design for for a persona. And as you know, you can have you, you might your user base may be full of different personas. You can't practically scale for every persona or design for every persona. What you can do is design the best solution for the job that everybody has in common. 
The other thing that I think that speaks directly to what you just said about jobs to be done and then the personas and how they're kind of in some ways at conflict with one another is that um, people often do personas and then stop. They don't realize that um, personas change over time, mm. that what user maps are for, right? And so um, even if you did test a persona and that's your user, that's not necessarily going to be the, the persona a year from now. And that person's going to change, their circumstances are going to change, their motivation is going to change. Because once that Home Depot person who's in the drill aisle buys that TV and mounts it on the wall, <laughs> you know, their situation is like, I'm never doing that again the service that I want or the job to be done is like, I want someone to install it for me, mm-hmm. or I just want to get a new TV that fits in the already existing bracket that I have. Yeah. On the wall. Even to piggyback off that. So that's sort of the beauty of the job to be done, right? Like designing products or services around that job, whatever you identify also gives you, it, it makes it easier as like a company or organization to like orthogonally design very different products or services that still are part of that job. So like this drill company, <laughs> um, they might not like, you know, like they, they hire a new VP and they need to like increase their drill. And, they need to increase drill sales. They need to increase drill sales. Um, what is the next product that this company is going to design if they're in the drill business, right? I was like, well, they're going to design a bigger and better drill maybe uh, or something like that. But if they're in the business of if they're in the service provision business of solving this job to be done, this this living room vision, well, then a company that makes drills, it makes sense then for them to also be in the business of providing the labor to install it for you or providing the or designing the cord hiding suite of tools to hide the cords after you mount the drill or to, I don't know, get in the business get in the living room design business, right? Because the idea is that if if we're focused on, if the product is the product or we're designing for specific users, we um, might end up just building more drills, right? Like more, and at some point um, we're gonna be at peak drill. <laughs> but using jobs to be done as a methodology makes it easier to conceptually change the vertical you're in and to offer something completely different that is still conceptually meets the requirements of your your mission of 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 the the kind of goods that you put into the world yeah i think that's that's interesting because um something that i'm kind of a project i'm working on with at work right now is we're kind of like seeing like here's our core product we know who our core user is and we're selling but now we're starting to kind of put out those feelers and try to find out what are the ancillary kind of things that we can get into not just services but also products and then what are let's look into that is there a way that you know what we to bring a you know a product to market or a software to market um and to do an mvp you know we third party this and we use this framework and we um and so now it's like maybe we step back from using that third party because we could actually build an ancillary service that actually does that and it's more specific to our product or maybe there's something that you know, once we rolled our product out and we started talking to our users, we have no idea that they didn't have a way to order drill bits or they didn't have a way to order, you know, like adapters for like, you know, something. I think that's, you know, kind of when you think about starting from that first, I think guessing is fine. So I Mm -hmm. I don't want to come off as being like, I hate user personas and user personas (laughs) are crap because I actually do think they're phenomenal. I think that they are, if you have data, 
use it. If you don't have data, get it. Mm-hmm. And then, but and it's okay to start with a guess, but but you do need to test to see if your guess are even right. You know, because otherwise, I think the the scary thing, right, is that you are, if you're not right, um, you are in this kind of scary area, which is you don't know if this your products or services that you're providing are successfully hit with your kind of your users. And you don't even know if the users who you think are buying your products are are the people that you're trying to sell to. So it seems like a huge disconnect by not testing it, at least for me. I have an anecdote. Uh, the um, We recently like worked on adding a membership program to our to our city, to the city newsletters that we create and to figure out what the MVP was, you know, what, what kind of, uh, features does someone going to get, um, out of, you know, paying a certain dollars per month, uh, to us. So to identify what the MVP even was going to be, we, I, we researched a bunch of our, um, whales, uh, who we, I, we identified the super users of, we had the data, like the people who opened and read the most, the folks who responded the most and were engaged. So we just reached out to them and created like a little pocket of people that we ended up uh, interviewing uh, over video chat to that end. So, so here we are. Uh, I don't see where by us as a news organization, but the journalists on our team, on our local teams do, right? Uh, they're, they're trained journalists. They have journalism degrees. They believe very much in the mission of journalism in the same way, you know, the librarians that we worked with believe very much in the mission of librarianship. Um, so when we're trying to figure out like what is our what is the right ask like how are we going like what's the right messaging for getting people to give us money, um, I, a total reasonable guess was support local journalism. Without you, we couldn't do this. You know, um, we already had some data that shows that like people don't really care what it is we offer; they care about us as the people behind the product, and we knew that message would work. But support local journalism was something we we tried. What we found out from our whales uh, just by testing them was that uh, it was a bit of an existential crisis. They don't see what we do as journalism. Like if we were to say like, hey, support local journalism, they might be like, you're right. And then donate to NPR. <laughs> and then, um, and, and so through this period of like, like research, what we kind of realized was that what is the job to be done? The newsletters, the daily newsletters that we provide um, took a little bit of a turn where we assumed that, Hey, it's to keep you informed. Like what are the, what are the best events and how do you live like a local? That's our mission. But, so were your interviews with your whales? Like, were they, did you find what you expected or did you find well, out what came, whales were, you know? Well, what came, what came up was that like our whales pretty much identified that like, look, it's like, they don't use our, not, not not entirely like our newsletter. The job to be done isn't necessarily to inform. There's so there's many other services that provide that the local information what are people what are people like using us for um uh to to facilitate like a sense of belonging in their community um like that uh that we were a good vector for connecting people of like minds so that you could find your tribe when you otherwise had difficulty finding those people we found out that our job to be done was communal uh, or the the service the, the the way we're solving that job by connecting these people through kind of like a news product. So, so it was it was an interesting like existential uh, practice. Like like I was no longer in the business of being on like doing UX and and tech for 
a news product. I was in the business of connecting people to like minds. And that, that is a that that inspired a lot of different product ideas than one that was than those that otherwise are meant to inform. It, that's it's actually pretty cool. I mean, that's poignant and powerful because I think it sounds almost like serendipitous. Like you're just like you know through kind of just talking to the whales, and you kind of figure out like um, you can yeah. figure out like you know either. Uh, maybe you were wrong about what you thought like your whale or your person why they use your product um but it kind of refocuses what do your usual potential users want you know what i mean and so it's kind of you know yeah, value, no. kind of realignment no i think that's phenomenal i think there's there is something that a lot of uxers have encountered there um and this may be the topic for the next show because i think like to, to tell a, like a kind of a I know an experience that a UXer that I've know personally has kind of encountered is very similar to that. And so they work for a banking institution, PNC Bank, uh, based out of Pittsburgh. And then, um, you know, from the bank's perspective and the business perspective, they're trying to like, how do we sell? We want to add more value and give credit cards and, and better, easier loans and stuff for small business owners. So we're going to go on this kind of track to, you know, kind of build all these products. And so fast forward a year, two years, they're like, no one's using our small business products for our small business owners. They're not using our accounts. They're not using our free checking. They're not using like all this kind of uh, any of the services or cards we provide. So they actually started at PNC Bank, a section inside of it that is very much like Adaptive Path and Capital One, um, but it's called the Innovation Center. And they go out and then kind of like, they're the like the WTF kind of people where you're just like, we don't know why this problem is happening. We have no idea, research it for us. And so basically I think the small business people went to them and they were like, well, let's, so they were like, well, have you talked to any of your users? Yeah, I mean, do they? What do they like from what you provide? You know, and they're like, no, we didn't at all. So they sent a team out and they like surveyed like their own customers who were small business people and like a fifty to hundred of them and just did good old fashioned user interviews, right? And and then basically they found out <laughs> that the small the persona that they created for the small business owner and the products that they were providing the reason why they weren't getting purchased is because the majority of people that they interviewed who were pnc small business owners they they were like i inherited this business from my dad i don't <laughs> want to run it I, it's it's a hassle you know what i mean i would quit it in a heartbeat if i could and and other people were just like it's like all day long all i deal with is the small business and then contact for the business and purchasing and delivery and it's 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 a nightmare you know what i mean so the alignment and the, to where they're trying to like where the bank actually thought that they were trying to help their small business people by giving them all these tools they were completely misaligned when they started talking to their small business owners because wow. they'd be like we don't want to buy more things we don't need upsold we don't want more stuff. we want less we want easier we want cheaper you know how can you make this um, effortless, you know what I mean? And so that misalignment between what the business thinks the product or service is, but when they actually start to find out like what we were selling is not what our users wanted and and how we thought that they were using it, like you were saying for talking to your whales and then what the value that they got out of it and what they used it for, it was totally not even what people thought it was, you know? It just makes me think of like, um, you know, what other businesses or services that are out there that people are like, yeah, we sell, you know, and then the users who are using it is like, yeah, I only do this so I can keep lists, 
I don't, <laughs> you know, or like I only do this to like use this as a way to organize how I don't use it for X, Y, and Z, you know, and just what's the disconnect of, of that when you're not talking to um, finding out what the highest, it's most like that um, value, like how can we add value? Like what is the added value? And and the value alignment from what it's perceived from the business side versus the user side is completely different. And that's it. Yo, if you want to find this and other episodes, please uh, find us on metricpodcast.com. More likely, find us in your podcatcher of choice where you will see Tim Broder's name alongside mine. Uh, give us a rating of five stars. We've been off the air for long enough that we could totally use your help in um, getting our numbers back up. One of the best things you can totally do is uh, share this on like share this to your friends uh you probably if you're listening to this you know other people in the biz let them know why we are the best ux podcast in the ecosystem 